of the grace of God that we all need because we're all sinners, we have all fallen short, none of us are exempt from that. We want to study God's Word and it will help, help us to overcome sin and because uh, as Paul said, we don't want to sin that grace would abound. So in some crazy kind of a way, the less we sin, the less God's grace works and yet God's grace is always sufficient for every need that we have. You have an outline that's available for you in the bulletin that was referenced earlier. You'll find that a very helpful tool as we go through God's Word together. We're talking about lying this morning, um, and if you've never told a lie, you may be dismissed. You may go, uh, but there's, I don't see anybody going. So uh, maybe it's helpful for all of us because we also want to speak the truth. I have a little problem. Here on the screen uh, is one of the internal conflicts that I will have. If you've spent any time on a computer downloading apps or software, you've seen something like this. See this agreement that's on there? Before they'll let you proceed. And what I'm intrigued about is this little statement, and maybe you have never thought about this like I have, but if you look at the little statement, at the very bottom there, just above it says back and yes and no and help, it says, have you read and do you accept? And then some lawyer has written a whole lot of words there. And you're supposed to say, yes, I have read this, and I agree. Now, my question to you and to me is if I say yes, I mean, how many, how many have read that, literally? I mean, oh, come on, you haven't read that. I can't believe it. Now, I really feel shamed. Uh, but it's, it's troubling to me because I don't want to take the time to read some legalese and pay a lawyer, you know, hourly wages to be able to, anyways. It's these little challenges of life that frustrate me the most. And sometimes we need to have a little radar on what's truth and what is a falsehood. But these little things sneak in every so often and I'm wondering, I'm worried about the fact that we lack integrity when we say, yes, I have read and Oh, well, you know, you read a couple sentences, good enough, yes. Well, we want to have good radar, but we don't want to be overly consumed with it. But this all brings us to this point of going to this country called Turkey, where there's a little city called Ephesus way back 2,000 years ago. The Apostle Paul went there, and he wrote a beautiful letter called Ephesians, and we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And in chapters 4, 5, and 6, we're talking about how, as you've heard George say, we're better together. We want to have that kind of harmony. And this morning, we're going to look at two verses in particular, verses 25 and 29. They're sort of uh, the opposite sides of the same coin. If you have your Bibles in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, it says, Therefore, for laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And then in verse 29 it says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. One of the things you do when you study God's Word, you look for patterns. You look for things that are maybe insignificant insights. If you look at those two verses, in fact, most of those verses that are right there, here's a little insight for you, and then maybe uh, it's not for everyone, but it's interesting to me, and since I'm the preacher. Um, both of those verses go this way. Paul says, here's something I don't want you to do. Don't lie. Don't use unwholesome words. But he didn't want to leave it there. 
So then in both verses, he tells us something positive to do. He says, tell the truth, use words that build up each other according to the need. And then at the bottom of each verse, he then gives a rationale. And God says, I want to give you reasons for why I tell you what I do. He says, I don't want you to lie, but I want you to speak the truth because we're members of one another. We're better together. We are connected. I don't want you to use unwholesome words, verse 29. I want you to use words that build up one another. Why? So that you have grace for each one who's around you. I want you to be a distributor of the grace that we just sang about. And so we have the negative, the positive, and the reason why that we want to look at this morning. So I invite you to go to Ephesians chapter uh, 4 and follow along. Now, the problem with lying, the problem with unwholesome words is not a communication problem. It's not a tongue problem. It's a heart problem. When we have problems telling the lies and we have problems giving unwholesome words, it's a heart problem. Proverbs 4 says this, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. If I have devious speech... If I have deceitful words, lying words, the Proverbs say, I've got a heart problem. So he says, watch over your heart. The word watch there means it's sort of a military word. Guard it. Because whatever is influencing your heart, your words will reveal your heart. It will expose who you really are. And there's a lot of people that get caught up. I read this, saw this video this last week of a woman who's a doctor who became drunk, got in the Uber car, and began to cuss out the Uber driver and throwing things at him. You might have seen it. It's one of those viral videos that is out there. And she's a doctor. She's well-educated. And then she went on one of the news programs and said, I saw myself on that video saying what I was saying and doing what I was doing. And she, like so many who have that problem, said, and that's not who I am. Proverbs says, your words reveal your heart. So there's no getting around it like somehow my tongue is malfunctioning. No, it's my heart. So we want to expose that. So the first thing the Apostle Paul says, first of all, I want you to move from lying, and then we'll see, I want you to move towards words of love. So therefore, laying aside falsehood again, the negative, Speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, the positive. Why? For we are members of one another. You know this, and so I'm just going to amplify this. There's nothing like, wow, I don't quite understand what he's saying there. I think we all get that, but let me amplify it and illustrate it. We need to avoid all reasons to lie. Our heart drives us to want to lie. We want to protect ourselves. The reason for that is because the father of lies is directing traffic in the truth realm. Satan gives us many reasons to lie. Here's what Jesus said. You are of your father, the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. 
It's his heart. It's his heart to murder. It's his heart to lie. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So lying reveals my fatherhood. There are only two spiritual fathers in the world. There's God the Father we just worshipped and continue to hear from him in his word. And then there is the father who is the devil, Satan himself. They are the two fathers that are available for everybody in the world today. There are no third fathers or fourth fathers. So either you're the father of the God of Jesus Christ or you're the father of the devil who is by his nature a liar and there is no truth found in him. I don't want us to be giving reasons from Satan to lie, and I'll give you two reasons Satan causes us to lie. Here are the two reasons that Bible teaches that people lie, and it's still true for us today. We need to avoid these reasons. Why do we lie? Why do people lie? First of all, to manipulate so that we gain something. Secondly, it's so that we rationalize to avoid something. That's what Satan puts in our hearts to cause us to want to lie. For example, to manipulate so we gain something, one of the great illustrations of that is Acts chapter 5. There's two, there's a husband and a wife, Ananias and Sapphira. The church has just begun. God wants to make a point that I don't like liars, deceivers, hypocrites who are trying to gain something in this church. So, Acts 5 says this, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property. They kept back some of the price for himself. With his wife's full knowledge, intentionality counts with God. And bringing a portion of it, a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan, parentheses, father of lies, filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, to keep back some of the price of the land? Ananias sells the property he thinks is going to give the entire sum total of the property because he saw Barnabas give everything that he had sold his property for. And so Ananias says, I like what Barnabas got out of this deal. I want the same thing, but I don't want to have to pay the full freight of the entire property. Ananias lied so that he could manipulate others' thoughts so that he could gain something. Now, I've spoken in the past about pride. There are the five P's of pride. You see four of the five P's of pride in Ananias' life. He gained possessions. He pretended to give the entire sum total of the property, but he only gave a portion of it so he could gain more for himself. He lied so that he could gain position in the church. I can rise up to the level of a Barnabas that people see and hold in high esteem. I would like to have position. I would also like to have prestige. Position is how I view myself. Prestige is how I want others to view me. I want people to see me as a generous and loving and and wonderful man and then gain power so that they have the position, I have the prestige, I have power over people, I can have influence. People will lie to gain these things. And Satan knows that we can be driven by possessions and prestige and position and power. And we've seen presidents lie to the country. We've seen politicians at a state level. We've seen pastors lie and live a lie because we want to gain something. Don't let Satan influence you 
to think that you can gain through lies. And remember, protect the heart, because Satan loves to tear us down there. Secondly, we will rationalize to avoid loss. In Genesis chapter 20, again, we don't have a lot of time to go through all these passages, but I give them on the, on the outline for you. In this story is a story of Abraham. He goes to a ruler named Abimelech. And in those days, there are, there's no police force. There's no 911 phone call. Uh, there are no bill of rights. There's no constitution. And these uh, powerful people would roam the countryside, and there are no ways to protect. And in those days, the women's rights were so small that women were constantly being ravaged by the male rulers of the world. So Abraham goes, and he goes to this community where Abimelech is ruling, and he says to his wife, Sarah, Sarah, when we come to Abimelech, I want you to tell Abimelech that you are my sister so that he won't kill you. Now, he may have sex with you. I'm good with that. I just don't want him to kill you. Sarah says, okay. Now, can you imagine that happening in your, you know, just un unbelievable. So they go. Abimelech sees Sarah, beautiful woman, brings her in. Before he could have relations with her, God came to Abimelech and says, Abimelech, this is the wife of Abraham. He is my prophet. If you do anything to her, I'll destroy you. And so Abimelech says, oh, I'm down with that. That's the way they talked in those days too. Uh, he says, I, I won't do anything. He told me she is his sister. What, what do you want me to do? I, I was expecting to have integrity there. God says, well, just leave her alone. So Abimelech, okay. I'm done with her. So Abraham shows up, and Abimelech says, Abraham, what in the world are you thinking? You almost caused me to die by having relations with your wife. I found out that she is your wife. So what does Abraham do? This is the father of the nation of Israel. This is the righteous, righteous man. He believed and it was counted unto him as righteousness. So Abraham, he's just like us. He's just a regular guy. And he has his moments, and so do we. So he rationalizes it to Abimelech, and here's what he said. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What have you encountered that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she's actually my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and then she became my wife. See a little spin job there? Yeah, same, eh, same uh, you know, father, but different mother. And then in those days, the whole idea of the relationships of family and genetics, you know, lost on them. But it's a spin to rationalize so that I could avoid losing something. I don't want to die. So let's spin it and in a sort of suggestive way. She is really my sister. I wasn't, it wasn't like a full-blown lie. It was sort of a partial lie. Give me a break. Everybody does it. Satan loves to plant manipulation to gain, rationalization to avoid loss, to somehow think that we can get better along in life. 
It's interesting, this last week as I was doing a little homework on this, came across this story. Robert Kraft is the owner of the New England Patriots, the national uh, champion uh, New England Patriots. You heard the applause. Um, and he visited in 2012, he visited Vladimir Putin, the well-renowned Russian dictator. And as they arrived, Robert Kraft began to show Putin his uh, Super Bowl championship ring. He has three of them. And in that ring is his name, Robert Kraft. He shows it to Putin. Putin, you can see him holding it right there looking at it. Putin then takes that ring, sticks it in his pocket, and he walks away with it. And then the KGB surround him as he walks away with it. Well, Kraft is sitting there, what, what just happened here? So he starts to complain, and then the State Department, the United States Government State Department, came to Robert Kraft and said, Mr. Kraft, we're trying to work on the relationship between the U.S. and Russia. So they told Robert Kraft, would you just lie and say that you gave the ring to Putin, not that he stole it from you. It could hurt the relationship that we want to have with Russia. Well, at first he sort of, okay, backed away, but then finally now the story is out. He says, that guy stole that ring from me. And I'm not going to go along with the NFL and the U.S. government any longer. I'm not going to lie about it. But you notice how the... The spin jobs happen, even at the highest levels of our government. It may be a shock to you that politicians lie to us, but it happens. And why do they do that? They rationalize to avoid loss. We don't want to break down the relationship. It's, it's an abundance out there, and every time we think we can get away with a lie, it gets exposed. How many times have we seen people come out later and say, well, you know... And they confess to it because Numbers 20, 32, 23 says, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. So if you think you are, can lie to gain, lie to avoid loss, your sin will find you out. It gets exposed. You, can't, you just can't get away with it. God knows better. So what will we do instead of that? And very quickly, I want to go through this. We need to pursue the truth. He says, don't lie, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Because lies destroy relationships. They destroy trust. And I put a couple of illustrations on there that you can look up later, but many of us know these stories. Peter standing in the garden. Jesus being arrested. People come up to him and says, aren't you with Jesus? And three times Peter lies. He says, I don't know the guy. Please leave me alone. I'm frustrated with you. Keep on asking me that question. He lies three times to the rooster crows. Jesus, Peter's eyes connect. And Peter just falls apart realizing he lied. Lying destroys a marriage. Lying destroys a business. Lying destroys neighbors. Lying destroys friends. And you will lie, and then you'll say you're sorry, and then you'll say, but can't you trust me anymore? And whoever you lied to will say, no, I can't trust you. Not now. And then you'll say, well, I've asked for your forgiveness. Why won't you forgive me? I've forgiven you. I just don't trust you. Well, how long is it going to take to get trust? I don't know, but it may take a whole long time. 
And then the person who lied, who caused the whole problem, gets all frustrated because you're not, you know, giving in. I'm just telling you, many times we see that. Lying destroys relationships. It destroys your trust in God. If Abraham trusted God with Sarah, he would never have lied. If Peter trusted his life with God, he would never have lied. Lying tells me that my heart doesn't really trust God to work out the situation. Not only does lying destroy those relationships, but when you tell the truth, it encourages relationships to grow. It enhances the opportunity. In John chapter 21, after Peter had lied, the next time Peter sees Jesus, he's resurrected. And they're gathered together. And then eventually get around to a conversation where Peter and Jesus get a pull off to the side. And three times Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he speaks the truth. And it was not easy for Jesus to speak the truth, asking Peter, after you lied to me three times, I now have to ask you three times, did you love me? Because he wants to know, can I trust you? You're going to be the rock upon which I build my church. I need to trust you. Now, in God's mind, he obviously knows all these things, but in the mind of Christ, he's drawing it out. Speak the truth. It builds your relationships. Now, you speak it in loving and kind ways, but you speak the truth, you build relationships. You lie, you destroy relationships. And God says, I don't want to destroy relationships, not between God and us and between one another. Why do we do that? Because we're members of one another. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. What kind of a member of a body lies to another member of the body? I'm thankful that this body of mine, think about it this way. If this hand or this hand or this leg or this leg or other parts of my body have a problem, you know what it does? It starts screaming in pain. It's telling me the truth. I don't want to hear the truth because it hurts. I'd rather have numbness. I'd rather cut off all the nerve endings so I can't feel when there is pain in one part of my body. Because parts of my body have pain, it's hurtful to hear that pain. I don't want to live in that pain. Leprosy is where you lose all feeling. And so every time there's some damage going to part of your body, your hands or your feet, there's no message of truth that there's a problem. And what happens? Your hands and your feet wear away. But when your body screams truth, there's a problem. You stop, you assess, you evaluate, you get help. And then parts of that body begin to heal. We need to be a body where truth in love builds one another up because we are members of one another. We grow that way. It's true in a church. It's true in a family. It's true in a friendship. It's true in a business. Truth builds relationships because we're members of one another. Not only should we not tell a lie, but tell the truth because we're members of one another. Part number two, we move from the lie. We move to words that love. Here's the second part of the message. 
Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Again, no unwholesome word, words that build up. Why? Because I want you to give words of grace. Now, I looked long and hard for a way to make a point. And there are many great resources, many great theologians, and I came across one, and I'd like for you to hear from him, and his name is Jimmy Fallon. (laughs) Jimmy Fallon, many of us know Johnny Carson. Well, he took over. And uh, I found this little video that was on his show, and I know you don't come to watch Jimmy Fallon, but there's a point that I'd like to capture your hearts with. And he's going to set up a a little little skit-type thing that he did with people on the street and probably in New York City. And he's going to have this guy interviewing some folks. And as you watch these interviews, look at a word. This is beyond what Jimmy Fallon probably had in mind. But you will see a word in the background between the two talking heads. Notice what that word is, which is another subtle message that was unintended originally, but caught my attention. So take a look and listen. Tomorrow night, Robinson Cano, the former New York Yankee all-star second baseman, uh, returns to Yankee Stadium for the first time since he left for a 10-year, $240 million contract with the Seattle Mariners. Now, obviously, Cano's going to hear a a fair share of boos when he steps up to the plate tomorrow, and uh, that could be jarring for any player. So that's why, uh, to get him used to it, we sent Robinson Cano out to the streets of New York to get booed by actual Yankee fans. But here's the catch. The fans thought they were just booing a cardboard cutout of Robinson Cano. They didn't realize that the real Robinson Cano was standing right behind it. Their reactions are pretty great. Check it out. Hi, I'm Robinson Cano, and I'm about to get booed by some Yankees fan. Are you a Yankee fan? Yes. Now, Robinson Cano is coming back to Yankee Stadium tomorrow night for the first time since becoming a Seattle Mariner. Are you going to boo him? Of course. All right, well, we have this picture of him right behind you, so whenever you're ready, go ahead and boo it as much as you want. Boo! You know what? You're no longer welcome here. Bye. Try again. you no longer... Now, Robinson Cano is coming back to Yankee Stadium tomorrow night for the first time mm-hmm. since becoming a Seattle Mariner. Are you, are you going to boo him? I'm going to boo the out of him. Well, uh, whenever you're ready, go ahead. All right. Give him your best boo. Boo! You suck! <laughs> that was awesome. Maybe try, try it again. Should I try it again? Yeah. <laughs> How you doing, Robbie? Welcome back to New York. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to boo him? Uh, you know, he won a World Series ring here, but he did leave for the money, so... Why don't you go ahead and give him as many boos as you want? Come on, Robinson. I mean, how many World Series titles do the Mariners have? Uh, come on, boo! You're better than that. You got a, a beard now? You're better than that. Boo! Oh. <laughs> oh, 
Yes, I am. Boom. All right, well, we actually have this picture of him right behind you. So whenever you're ready, go ahead and boom as much as you want. Boo, Robert said you should have stayed here. When is this in New York, not in Seattle? Try doing it one more time. Boo. Stay in Seattle. We don't need you in New York. Hey. <laughs> go ahead and boom as much as you want. Boo. Boo. Whoa. How you doing? Yeah, thanks for the boo. I won't boo you. I won't boo you. I won't actually boo you. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be rooting for you to uh, play well, but not win. <laughs> Are you going to boo him? Absolutely. All right, well, whenever you're ready, go ahead and uh, boom for as long as you want. Right here? Yep. Boo! Try one more. One more. Yeah. Oh. How you doing? <laughs> Listen about that, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. Only in New York. Only in New York. I swear. So. That's great. I wish we could break up in groups and what do you learn from that? But you know what strikes me? I would love to get your feedback if you get the same read. First of all, do you see the word behind their heads? Grace. And what strikes me is that we can very easily make a judgment call and use unwholesome words, if you will. But the more you get to know someone, the more contact you have with someone, the more you see someone as a real person that you can relate to, suddenly all the booing goes away, right? That's what's so fascinating to me. Yeah, and there's sort of their hyper, you know, sportsmanship of booing the enemy when you actually stand with a person and get to know them. It changes the communication. And I think that's what Paul is talking about, as you saw in the last verse. Don't lie. Speak the truth. Why? Because we're members of one another. The more you see one another, the less you lie, the more you speak the truth. The more you see one another, you begin to avoid unwholesome words. Paul says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. The word unwholesome is the, is the literally it means rotten fruit. Don't let rotten fruit come out of your mouth. And when you engage with someone, and it's not just a picture, it's not just a concept, it's not just in theory, but the more you engage with people, the more you realize, I would never throw rotten fruit at someone who's part of the family. Would you throw rotten fruit at your wife, your husband, your child, your parent, your neighbor? I hope not your neighbor. Don't throw rotten fruit because unwholesome words are like throwing rotten fruit that comes out of the ground. Remember many years ago we had a little peach tree in our backyard as a dwarf peach and finally they had these beautiful looking peaches on them and we picked them and began to eat them and they were pulpy and dry and just disgusting on the inside. And I wanted to curse the tree but it wasn't the tree's fault that I didn't 
water it and fertilize it and prune it so that it could produce good fruit. Good fruit comes because a gardener tends to the roots of the plant. Good fruit comes because I tend to the garden of my heart. And when my heart is good, good things come from it. Notice what Jesus said. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. I mean, it's, that's tough talk. That's Jesus. Wow. I've never called you brood of vipers. Um, you brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? See, it goes to the heart. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. If there's rottenness in the heart, there's rottenness in the mouth. My mouth reveals my heart, Jesus says. The good man brings out of his good treasures what is good. The evil man brings out of the evil treasures what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Wow. Every word I speak, and I have to do it in front of people like this. And you can go out there and say all kinds of things of what I just said. God says every one of us will have someone giving an account of the words that we say. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So I need to be careful that my unwholesome words are not rotten because it's just hurting and revealing my own heart. You realize there was a study done and it came across an interesting fact. Remember the, in the, uh, when we were kids, we would say things like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Well, that's a lie. There's a uh, neuroscientist named Matthew Lieberman who did a study of the brain. And when people broke their legs or when people heard hurtful words, the brain processes that the same. Here's part of what he wrote. The most interesting part of the study is how their brains process social rejection. To the brain, social pain feels a lot like physical pain. A broken heart can feel like a broken leg. Lieberman writes, looking at the brain scan side by side without knowing which was an analysis of physical pain and which was an analysis of social pain, you wouldn't have been able to tell the difference. In other words, when human beings experience threats or damage to their social bonds, the brain responds in the same way it responds to physical pain. My brain cannot discern between somebody breaking my leg and someone breaking my heart with hurtful words. The brain feels it the same way. And so when Paul talks about unwholesome words, words that hurt, you might as well have broken their legs. So sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will hurt me just the same. He says, on the contrary, pursue only words that build up another person. Be, but only such a word is as good for edification according to the need of the moment. Edification literally means to build a home. I need to process my words. Actually, I need to process and garden my heart. So the words coming out of it are going to build someone up. You take the time to allow those words to come out in appropriate ways. And why do we do that? Because we're called to give grace. We need grace. Again, again, this is, this is not new information to any of us, I suspect. 
But let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for the edification, building up one another according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. We need to give grace. I heard the little story about a six-year-old that was in a service. Sometimes we've done this where people come up front and and they write their sins on a piece of paper and then they put that sin on the cross to say, forgive me, Father. And usually they take it and they fold it all up. Well, a six-year-old, in only six-year-old language, could write it, big block letters, kind of like kindergarten big block letters. And he writes, God, I want to confess that I lie. And so his parents wrote down their sins too, and they all came up to the cross And the parents folded up their notes and put it on there. But this little boy had it left open like this with his name on it. And they said to their son, are you sure you want your name on that? you sure you don't want to fold it up and stick it away on there so no one can see it was you who wrote that? And the little six-year-old looked at his parents and said, no. I want everybody to know this is what I do because I'm hoping that there will be someone who will see that and come and help me to stop. Some of us need people to help us to stop. Where the words that are deceitful or the words that are hurtful are tearing apart the body, the marriage, the friendship, the community. Because the Apostle Paul wants us to have words of grace. Words of grace come from a grace-filled heart. So I want to invite you to take, we've got two minutes, on the back side of this outline. I want to read through this. These bullet points that I put on there, I think, are words that can help us be a good gardener of our heart so that our heart will produce good fruit. I want to take the negative and then bring you to the positive. For example... The first bullet point underneath that is, are you tempted to lie to avoid something or protect your your pride to get ahead? If so, will you trust God with the outcome by speaking the truth? And then I give you a verse. Here's what God says. Trust me, God says. Trust me with that. Are you allowing people and circumstances to affect how you feel about life? If so, your words may be hurtful or critical. You're being bombarded by things so you have a critical spirit. Well... You need to learn to guard your heart by prayerfully turning to the Lord and mature believers. There is godly counsel. Paul says, come to me and learn from me. Do what I said and did in Philippians. Are you being negatively influenced by the values of this world through the media, the books, and people? Maybe you don't like the presidential race. Maybe you don't like local politicians. Maybe you're caught up in a lot of ideology and your words are hurtful. They're destructive. They're negative. They tear down. They're unbecoming of one who claims Christ. Well, then I need to turn to Scriptures and renew my heart and mind in Christ. Are there unconfessed sins in your heart, such as anger, resentment, revenge, and retaliation, which are causing hurtful words? Seek words of grace and confess all sins. Read Psalm 51, creating me a new heart. Is your heart troubled by jealousy, envy, or conflicts as you gossip or Tear down another person to hurt their reputation or their character. Confess that sin and ask God for his peace and joy. And then read Proverbs. These are wonderful Proverbs that 
address the need of the heart. It's the heart. It's not the words. It's the heart. And is your heart troubled by problems in this world? So you live in fear and anxiety, which may cause negative and discouraging words to undermine relationships. Look to the Lord and write down all the ways you have seen Him work in your past to assure your heart that God is still in control. So, so much about my words reveal a heart that doesn't trust God to help me in my need. We turn to the Lord. He is the ultimate gardener of the, of the heart. I invite you to go through those verses this coming week and allow God to speak into your heart His grace so your words will be filled with His grace. Let me pray. Help us, Father, as we live out this life for your sake. Help us, Father, to journey well in the wisdom that is yours. And Lord, if there is anyone who has a heart that is maybe rotten, that needs to be cleaned up so the words will reflect a pure and holy heart. God, may they come up after this service and allow us to pray with them and help to mend what was broken so they can have a fresh start. Father, like the little six-year-old boy, maybe someone will see my problem and help me. Sometimes the truth is hurtful. But some may need truth to send a message so that the damage stops. Help us, Father, to live our lives for you because we do it so much better when we're doing it together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.